Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 10, Star Wars, the original trilogy. Chris McBride here. This is Pop Goes Your World. I'm along with Yancey Eaton, as always. Yancey, big show tonight, uh, obviously, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. How's everything going, buddy? Chris, you stuck up half-witted, scruffy-looking nerd herder. How are you? <laughs> it's nerf herder, you <laughs> dumb millennial. Oh, my. But it's, <laughs> it's all good, though. Hey, I'm doing good. What's uh, what's new and exciting this week, bud? Uh, not a whole lot. Just uh, working, keeping the pimp hand strong, just doing what I can. It was really cool uh, just kind of like researching a... Uh, Star Wars and looking up, you know, different scenes and stuff that I'd maybe forgotten about. It was just kind of nice to like delve back into it. I'd been so focused on, you know, The Force Awakens for the last two, three months that, you know, it's nice to go back and kind of see where it all started. And it, I don't know, it's just been a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, before we get into it, uh, I want to mention something, uh, a little bit of a diversion, but it, I guess this is kind of a retro thing too, is Stranger Things. Now, the last time I asked you about Stranger Things, you sort of, you were like vaguely, like sort of heard of it. And, but I noticed recently on Twitter, your cover pick was like a Stranger Things font. So I'm assuming that you like the show. You're, you've discovered it. You've watched the whole thing. Yeah, I uh, I finally just, I don't know, I randomly seen it on like the front, like suggested page on Netflix. Nice. And uh, I'm like, you know what? I, I don't have anything to do tonight. I'll just watch one episode. And then, of course, I stayed up, you know, the entire night watching it. It was fantastic. And I got my wife one and she started watching it, too. It's just it's like a perfect love story to like every 80s film you can possibly think of it's not corny at all it's really just like homage after homage to like all these different movies and it's just well done the acting's amazing and just the cinematography is is just incredible i mean i'm about to watch it again this weekend to be honest with you it's it's a really really awesome series and i, I hope it has 10 seasons i'm assuming that we should possibly do an episode on stranger things yes. in the future sometime eh? Uh, we'll yes, definitely do that they're gonna be coming up with uh season two at some point right so yeah, they said sometime next year, um, which is like painful. Normally, whenever I hear about a really good series on Netflix, I actually wait for it to finish so that I can just binge watch it all at once. I know with Breaking Bad, um, I got completely caught up on Netflix or, you know, on Netflix with Breaking Bad. And then as soon as the actual season or series finale came on regular TV, I watched it live. So that was kind of like neat timing. But I'm not going to be able to wait for the Stranger Things. I'm going to have to jump right into it. That's, that's the thing with uh, with you millennials. You like to just wait and binge watch the whole thing. But let me tell you, sometimes, you, like I remember, you sometimes had to wait like a whole week between shows. Yeah. You know, in the old school ways. And, and you know, funny enough with tonight's topic, you had to actually wait three years between each film. Go figure. But uh, anyway, you ready to get started tonight? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right, let's go. Yeah, I don't want to get a whole bunch of hate mail and stuff. I think Jaws is one of the greatest movies ever made. Have you seen it, Chris? It was awesome. And I literally lost it. Night of the Living Dead. That movie literally terrified me. People were running out of the theater. Wait, what? See, I'm young, I'm hip, and I speak the language of the streets. Yes, word. Okay, so the thing is, it's the original trilogy. We're not going to get too much into the prequels, thankfully. Um, but we will have an, a show dedicated to the prequels at some point in the future. But uh, tonight, we're obviously, we're talking about the Star Wars, the original trilogy. I'm curious, Yancey, because I'm going to share my experience with it, but I'd like to know yours. How old were you when you saw the first film? Well, under what circumstances? Were, like, How did you view it? 
you know, and, and what media do you use to watch it? So tell me a little bit about how old you were and your experience with the very first Star Wars movie. And that's the very first one, the one from 77. So I, I, I can't give you like a specific age. I can't remember the exact moment when I saw it. And that's kind of because Star Wars was always kind of there. It was, you know, my mom and dad always had the box set on VHS. And I just always remember having watched it like a million times. You know, I went through like a period of, you know, between like eight to 11 years old, whenever uh, episode one actually came out, where I was just obsessed with Star Wars. And I would just watch the films over and over and over. And, and I wore those VHS tapes out. So like, I can't, I can't pinpoint exactly when I first seen it, but like, um, you know, it was, it was not my mom or dad's favorite movie, but they liked it a lot. You know, everybody in my family would sit down and watch it with me. But I mean, it was one of those things where if we didn't have anything to do, we would kill whole weekends just watching the Star Wars, you know, having a marathon and watching all three movies in one day. Um, it was just it was just always there kind of like in the background. So in other words, you the first time that you watched Star Wars was on television. Uh, a TV? Yeah, it was yes. on it was on a television set, like watching it by VHS. On yes, VHS like an old day. school television set. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> why is that unbelievable? Chris? Well, okay, because I'm gonna ta- <laughs> I'm gonna take you back. Okay, so the year is 1977. It was June 1977. The movie had come out in May, um, and it was in Kitchener, Ontario. My uncle Phil, um, who is still a great guy, uh, he took me as a seven year old. He took me to the movie theater to see this new film called Star Wars that everyone was like raving about, right? So we went in there, a seven-year-old in the theater, the lights go down, the, first of all, 20th Century uh, Fox uh, logo comes up. And, and and the thing was, with that, right, starting right from the, the, the logo, the, the one of the things that Lucas did in the original Star Wars movie was he brought back the fanfare. So what I mean by that is, um, way, 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 way back, 20th Century Fox had the fanfare, you know, dun, da, dun, 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 you know, the fanfare that comes up on the logo. Well, they had gotten rid of it for years. They didn't use it anymore. They just went dun, 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 and the movie came on. He put the fanfare back in, and it's become so much synonymous with the original Star Wars trilogy, but it was something that was around for years previous. But like I said, he brought it back. So anyway, there's that, and then there's that full screen logo with the huge opening orchestral note. And which fades away and then goes automatically into the, the scrawl. And you mm-hmm. read the scrawl, and then it pans down. You see the planet of Tatooine. You see Tanto 4 come overhead. And then you see the Star Destroyer coming over. And as a seven-year-old watching that Star Destroyer go overhead in a movie theater, I was mesmerized. I had never seen anything like it. I will never experience anything that's that visceral again in my life. It was, it was like, you hear people talk about it, and I'm telling you it's true. It was life-changing. It, it mm-hmm. changed my life. In 1977, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have anything. We didn't have home movies. There was none of that stuff. So, you know, seeing something that big was just, it was it was just unbelievable. It blew me away. And I'm very lucky, I guess, because I was seven, <laughs> to be in the theater to see that. And, you know, and, and not to get too much of like a history lesson or anything, but if you, the, the biggest things in the world, the big, from a pulp culture point of view, usually are those things that the timing is just perfect it's just mm-hmm. perfect timing and like if you think about the Beatles the, the Beatles the timing was just perfect for them you know and and Star Wars was the same way if you go back to like the 70s the early 70s movies were pretty much a bunch of downers there was a lot of downer movies going on if you take a look a movie like um, like Easy Rider you know is becomes a hit like how the hell did that become a hit with audiences the movie's a downer and it's just a reflection of of culture of culture at that that was a really tough decade because the vietnam war was going on now all of a sudden the vietnam war is over okay maybe it's time perfect time for the country to to 
you know, turn the chapter, you know, to sort of turn the page, turn to a new chapter of the history. And the thing is, is that up until that point, um, you know, there was like 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 there was no there wasn't as much orchestral music and stuff like that to sort of start off your movie that way was like unheard of and the thing is when Lucas did his original cut of the film and showed it to all of his friends you know like Spielberg and De Palma and all those guys they all had pretty much the same reaction they were like oh geez better luck next time George yeah it's not really that good you know and mm -hmm. but when audiences saw it he actually Lucas actually took off when the movie was getting ready to, to be released in theaters, he took off and went to Hawaii with him and his wife. He needed a break. He was burnt out from making the movie and he just thought, I'm just going to go out there and let this movie just bomb and we're done. We're all in trouble. And all of a sudden, well, wait a minute, what? People are going crazy for this thing? And yeah. like people like me that were seven and kids were like the real big audience, right? Saw it and just just lost our minds and and adults did too because like i say you're coming off all these downer movies you know vietnam war is over this movie comes out and the thing is if you go back and watch the original star wars it's a lot of fun to watch it's a lot of fun to watch star wars so when you audiences needed that at the time and they needed that uplifting story and you know like the the the, the young guy you know is ambitious and he you know takes on the empire and and they win you know what i mean and it was just so great so it was all those things kind of together um working together that made it such a big hit so it was like it was massive for me and it's just i just find it so interesting because you know, like your first experience, I could say, was watching it on a television set with VHS. Mm -hmm. and, and like like I say, mine was in the movie theater, like just being like just riveted. I, I just I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like it just blew me away. And everything was just so good. And, and you know, the, the thing with movies is most movies have about eight to ten minutes to get you. Mm -hmm. You know, and that something's got to happen in those first eight to ten minutes. And if you look at a movie like Star Wars and what happens in the first eight to ten minutes, Wow like just blow you away it was so right. cool and especially with the special effects of the time you know it was just so important so for me it was like it was life-changing no so let me ask you this yeah of course you, how many times did you see it in theaters oh wow in theaters now again this is back in the day when i was in a small town and getting to a movie theater was tough we had to go over to kitchener which was the, mm -hmm. the closest city to me when i was growing up um but in the theaters i probably saw it i would say probably five to seven times originally and that that was a lot in those days like for me to get over to kitchener and go see it and go see it again that's and still again. that's still a lot <laughs> oh it's a lot and, and and especially for for my parents would be like again like you've already seen it you're like i don't understand why do you want to go again because mm -hmm. you got to think too up until that point the idea of the blockbuster was relatively new it really didn't start until 1975 with jaws before that there was no you didn't go see a movie more than once you went to see it the movie was good you're done you're you know you're done with it and Jaws was one of those movies that people would go back again and again and again to see. And Star Wars just blew Jaws out of the water. People would line up literally around the block. Like, that's why when people call now, like, say, oh, there's a blockbuster. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, Bridesmaids was a blockbuster. Bridesmaids wasn't a freaking blockbuster. Mm -hmm. People did not wait around the block, literally, in lines to see it. And that's what it was. Um, but, yeah, so maybe like five to seven times in the theater, which at the time was like, you know, I guess a pretty big deal. No two ways about it. People but, people do not do that anymore. Nope. I will say this. Whenever episode one first came out, I was 11 years old. And, you know, obviously I didn't have like the financial means or the transportation to go see it as many times as I wanted to. But, um you know, whenever the next film came out, the Attack of the Clones came out, I had a job by that point. And I remember <laughs> that summer, I probably went and seen it six or seven times. You know what I mean? And whenever episode three came out, I, same thing, six, seven times. And those weren't even good films. Like, right. if I have, if I could take, you know, a, a time machine back and to see 
something like that in theaters for the first time to have that that first cut like you said the scrawl coming down and mm-hmm. seeing it like that i mean that would just be absolutely wild you know to see it on like a little 27 inch you know old tube tv it was still awesome it was still awesome exactly like you yeah. said i find that amazing because you still you still it still got you right because it's such a powerful movie and it's such a great fun movie to watch that it still got you regardless mm-hmm. of the medium it's on but like i say just to be in that theater um, as a seven-year-old to watch it, like <laughs> it was like I can't even magic, explain. Yeah. I can't explain magic. There's no other way to describe it other than magic. And the thing is, too, if you think about it, up until that time, science fiction movies. You know what science fiction movies were? They were basically like people in like shiny jumpsuits, you know, and everything was clean mm-hmm. and bright and all this. And Star Wars came along, and it was like it was dirty and everything was grimy and you could see the rivets and it was like lived in in this world. Heck, the the very first uh, the words that you see on the screen are a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So it, it, it took place in the past. Wait a minute. Science fiction is supposed to take place in the future. Like yep. it, it kind of threw everything on its head, right? That's what got me about the, the prequels too. And I'm, you know, like I say, we'll get into that in another show. But the fact that you go back and watch the prequels and it's like Lucas forgot that his world should be like lived in and dirty and instead it's starting to look clean and CG and uh, yeah. anyway, it's a mess. But, um, so I'm curious, you know, this, this is, um, when I was at, uh, uh, fan expo a couple weekends ago, Mark Hamill was there, did a Q and a, I mentioned it, you know, it was like the, it was the greatest thing of the weekend. And I thought it was interesting. This guy gets up because he took a Q and a from the audience, right? And one guy get from the audience gets up and, um, and says, you know, uh, which of the original trilogy is your favorite? And it was just funny. The whole audience was just like, oh, oh my God. Like, how could you ask him that? You know, like, I mean, like, that, that's like a terrible question to ask. But um, so I'm curious, like, for yourself, um, of the original trilogy, do you have a favorite of the three movies? And if so, which one is it and, and why? I think it's easily Empire Strikes Back. Um, probably 90% of the people in the world that you asked would all say this. I think of the three, it just does the best at like really developing the characters and the relationships with each other. It's super, super dark. It's really, really heavy. Um, I think it's like the heart and soul of the entire franchise. That includes every movie, every little spinoff or animated thing or you know Christmas special, whatever. It is the absolute heart and soul of the movie. I think if you had to rank like the top 20 or 25 best scenes of the entire franchise, probably 15 of them are in Empire Strikes Back. It's just... I mean, disproportionately excellent compared to the other films. It's 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 probably, I don't know, my second or third favorite movie of all time. And the funny thing is, I agree with you. I, I do agree because uh, I think Empire was the best of, of the original trilogy. And Mark Hamill's answer was Empire as well. He said mm-hmm. Empire was his favorite. And the thing is, too, okay, again, not to give a history lesson, but just think about it. Like back then, when a movie came out that was successful – that was it. A movie came out. It was successful. It was done. Sequels, sequels were always, always inferior. Always. You look at Jaws 2. You know, the only exception to that rule actually was in 1974. Terminator. Uh, well, no, this is before that. I'm talking at Star Wars time when Star oh, Wars came out in 77. Okay. Before that, in 74, was Godfather 2. Godfather 2 was as good as the first one. It won an Oscar for Best Picture as well. It was as good as the original, if not better. So, but other than that, like other than, than, uh, than Coppola, like no one else did a sequel that was you know anywhere near well, it's the original. it's really hard you know it's like with music um like they talk about you know anytime you ever have like a rapper like everybody talks about oh jay-z fell off or eminem fell off or or even just musicians in general you got to think like their whole life they were they were thinking 
of this one thing, right? Like all their creativity, their entire, you know, juvenile life was put into making this one first album. It's going to be the most creative, the most diverse thing they've ever done. And then everything after that is going to be kind of like a different iteration of that same thing. You know what I mean? So just by default, just yeah. the way that art works most of the time, it's always going to be, you know, the original is almost always going to be better. So to have something that actually holds up as a sequel is just, I mean, it's so, so rare. I can't name a single band where it's like, you know what? I, I really like their third album a lot better than their first one. It's other than, just other than it's the so Beatles, rare. maybe the Beatles, you know, yeah. but but you're totally right. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's the thing, because I think we got to get hung up on that word original, because the first one is so original that you just can't capture that that magic again the second time but you know what and you know what at the time too when they, when they were getting ready to make the second one um and you know uh, not that i'm trying to slag you know lucas or anything but i mean like like you know he goes on like now he changed it to you know episode then uh, the second one was going to be called episode five and you know and all that stuff but when the first one came out it was called star wars and the original crawl in the theater there was no episode four it was Star Wars. That's it. And right. in, in fact, when they decided to go in and they actually signed the contracts to make the second movie, it was it, the working title was Star Wars 2. So all that other crap about, you know, episode four or five, that all came later. Lucas likes to rewrite history sometimes. And uh, but anyway, um, the, the, the still at the time, even when they were working on it, it was still like, well, like they, they had trouble getting funding from the studio. And stuff, and you got to figure, how could they do that? It's the most successful movie of all time because sequels always sucked. So, you know, Star Wars is not going to be any different in their minds. So they're, we're not going to fund this, this, this picture. So Lucas had to put all of his chips in with all the money he made from Star Wars and basically had to help really fund a lot of Empire himself. Um, you know, obviously it worked out pretty well, but I mean, he didn't even direct it and he had to get a director for it. And, and the thing is, then he got Irvin Kirshner, who, you know, had done movies like a little bit more moody movies, like, you know, um, Eyes of Lower Mars and stuff like that. And like you said, the movie he made with Empire was a lot moodier. And it was darker and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And the thing was, when he they hired him to make the movie, he was actually going over budget a bit. But what he was really going over on was time. He was taking way too long to do the shots. And like something that should take a couple of days was taking him a week and a half or two weeks or a month. And so people were getting scared. And um, and the, But the only thing that, that saved it was as the dailies were coming back, they were looking at the dailies and they were like, Wow. This is good. Like when the dailies came back for the original Star Wars movie. Forgive, forgive my ignorance, but what do you mean by the dailies? Okay, so so when when you're on a movie set and you're shooting, what you'll do is you'll take whatever you shot that day, and it's just raw footage, right? Mm-hmm. Well, some pr- producers will want to get their hands on it and take a look at it because, like, hey, if we're putting up uh, eleven million dollars to make this movie, that was the original budget for Star Wars. If we're going to put up eleven million dollars in 1975, 1976 to make this. We want to see some results. What are you guys doing, right? So mm-hmm. they want to take a look at, and a lot of times they'll look at the dailies. And as the dailies came back for Star Wars, they were bad. And like people were like, and I've seen some of the cuts, and I'm sure lots of our listeners, you know, have watched documentaries and stuff and seen some of them. And some of the cuts were bad. Like, oh, they were bad. And because there was because <laughs> there was no sound effects, there was no music. Anthony Daniels spoke his lines through a mask. So did David Prowse. You know, they spoke their lines with English accents through a like they threw a mask and stuff. So you're like, what is this mess? But when the dailies were coming back from Empire, different story because it was like the like Irvin Kirshner is a very talented director. The lighting was great, the cinematography was amazing. Like it was like wow, this guy's doing some really good work. So we gotta we gotta give him some slack. You know what I mean? But uh, then obviously you know the picture came out and it blew everybody away because it was like sequels are not better, and that one was. You know, and that's what was so amazing about it. So I think I agree. I think the Empire would be um, my favorite one, even though. 
the magic all started, you know, three years prior with the first one. Do you have any like favorite scenes or maybe like one favorite scene from the trilogy? Not to put you on the spot, but I mean, um, the whole trilogy, like, was there like one scene in it that was your favorite? I like, let me think about it. I like the carbonite chamber scene with Han, obviously. Uh, that whole thing is just incredibly well done. And you were talking about like the, just the cinematography, like the red light. Oh yeah. You know, and stuff that like scene, that. Yeah. They actually, you know, bring that back whenever uh, in The Force Awakens, that that same kind of light kind of thing, whatever. Yep. I'm not going to give any spoilers to that, but you see there's a there's a consistency between the films with the with the color and lighting and stuff like that. Um, that's that's one of my favorites. You know, the whole corny, like, I love you. And, you know, the, the brash as hell. Han Solo says, I know. You know right. what I mean? Like, really, as he's being frozen in carbonite. Um, I like the asteroid field scene. Uh, you know, like, never tell me the odds kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, weirdly enough, though, I think probably my favorite individual scene was the Battle of Hoth, just oh, because yeah. like they did so much with so little. Like it's it's a it's a barren landscape that they're using. It's all snow and everything like that. But just what they did with the uh, what was the the ATATs is mm-hmm. I mean, that's I'm getting it correct. Okay, um, there's just so many. We'll actors. talk about that later in the show. I'll bring I'll okay. come back to that. Remind me. But yeah, Battle of Hoth is probably my single favorite scene. Everybody wants to say like the uh, you know Vader's reveal. Obviously, that's the that's the best scene of all time. But just to give a caveat, it's probably Battle of Hoth for me. I think I'm going to go right to the very, very end of the trilogy to give you my favorite. And this is where it gets me emotionally because the thing is, this is going to be a bit of a surprise for you because the thing is, like, you know, you've probably only ever seen like the special editions and things like that, right? Or have you ever had a chance to see the original cut of the film on VHS? I did. Ooh, and, that's awesome. But, but yeah, but it was... It was so long ago, Chris. Right. That, like I can't even I can't even speak to like the differences. Okay, between so them. so my favorite scene of the whole trilogy was the very very last scene, and to me, the very last scene of the trilogy is like the cherry on top. And you talk about redemption. You talk about tying a story together and having full. It's very gratifying for an audience to have closure, and it's very gratifying to see things come full circle. And the thing is, throughout the second movie and the third movie, what you saw was, you know, Ben was killed in the first movie, right? So then he, but he comes back mm-hmm. as a ghost, right, in the second one. Then Yoda dies, but he comes back as a ghost, right, at the very, very end, because, you know, Ben had come back to Luke a couple times, and at the very, very end of the movie, after Luke uh, burns Vader, which, by the way, was was a, another scene that they put in the movie. In the, in the, in the final cut of the movie was, was Luke dragging Vader you know, in the, the Death Star and trying to get him into the spaceship. And, and and they left it at that. But then they thought, you know what? People might still might think he's alive. They still might not have closure that he actually died there. So mm-hmm. then they, they went back on Skywalker Ranch out in California and they shot the scene where Luke burns Vader's body on the funeral pyre. Um, and but then at then they're all celebrating. Remember the Ewoks are like doing the the drumming on the the, the stormtrooper helmets and everybody's dancing and yes. it's all good and then the fireworks <laughs> are going off. But then the scene, this is the best scene. Then Luke, before he goes to join the party, walks over to the edge of the forest and looks and sees the ghost of Ben. It, the camera pulls back and you see the ghost of Yoda. But then the camera pulls back and you see the ghost of Darth Vader. But it's Sebastian Shaw, the old man. But he doesn't not Hayden Christensen. Yes, right? exactly. Like he like <laughs> Sebastian Shaw doesn't have the scars or anything. And he's and the most important thing is he's smiling. He smiles and like he's and, at peace, and that's and that smile, that smile exactly. It lets you know he's at peace. He's there's redemption. I'm like, wow, wow, how gratifying is that? Yeah. So then that's why I get so pissed off now when you go back and watch it, and he's and Lucas superimposed Hayden Christensen scowling at the yeah. camera. I'm like, what? Like, it, I, I know the dude can't act, but I mean, come on, like, like that takes away 
everything that was accomplished from that scene. So that's why it was my favorite scene, but now it's like my absolute worst scene. So go figure. Just in one <laughs> little tiny change, you know, can change everything yep. for me. Um, uh, so the original trilogy, as far as I'm concerned, is perfect. So, I mean, I can't, you know, get into too much. Any scenes in it as a millennial, like from, um, from especially from a science fiction or um, a special effects point of view, is there anything that you don't like? Um, to be honest with you, the entire Ewok digression, it seems so incredibly unnecessary. I mean, they, they could have made them any number of character... I, it's just it takes what is just such a such a awesome awesome trilogy and like it's like the one character to me that is just like so lame it's it <laughs> it almost seems like they're pandering to children in that you know what i mean it seems like like uh that's where like a corporate entity basically got their hand into it and that's that was their corporate creation you know what i mean it, it seems so out of place with the rest of the the entire trilogy that like i i mean i'll fast forward through those scenes it's just it's just such a weird diversion from all of the excellence on the other parts of the films. It's it's actually ugh, I, I get sick thinking about it just because it, I mean they're little teddy bears. They're literally little teddy bears. You know, it just it just doesn't make sense to me. I know, and I know where you're coming from, and I know it's it's easy to look at, at that and think you're, you're right. It's a corporate thing designed to sell toys or to please kids. But really, like I mean, not to, to defend any of the original, but well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So, uh, um, the, <laughs> actually, the, the, how that came about was Lucas had been had had been really thinking in his mind about doing a movie based on the Vietnam War for a long time. In fact, he was supposed to be the director of Apocalypse Now. He was supposed to be the director up until yeah, and, and he and Coppola was going to have him direct it, and like that's the way it was going to go. And then you know at the last minute, obviously Coppola, you know Star Wars kind of became a bit of a diversion, you know, go figure. And Lucas obviously did not direct uh, Apocalypse Now, but anyway, um, so but Lucas still had in his mind, I want to do something based on the Vietnam War. And so what he was what what he liked about the Vietnam War, I guess not liked about it, but what he found interesting and very thematically interesting about the Vietnam War was the fact that a group of people could overcome such a big adverse enemy you know how how these like a huge disadvantage a basically. huge disadvantage so you've got right. these Viet Cong soldiers in the jungle that you know not that well armed taking on the most powerful nation in the world and winning how the hell does this happen so because mm -hmm. of that he kind of used those that thematically by having the Ewoks be very very short and being very very primitive see originally in the in his original first drafts of the Star Wars uh, movies he wanted that battle to be Wookiees Wookiees right but that's the problem why he literally was, derived the name Ewok from Wookiee well and, and the funny thing was is, as a piece yeah. of trivia you're right as a piece of trivia um, because it goes Wookiee backwards or whatever the two syllables is Ewok but the, the word Ewok is never even spoken in in uh, Return of the Jedi not once it's something you know we know afterward but if you go back and watch Return of the Jedi they don't mention the word Ewok once but anyway neither that's neither here nor there but he couldn't make it be Wookiees because he'd already established that Wookiees were smart like Chewie could fly a spaceship so I mean they weren't primitive you know right. so he's like oh I gotta change this well instead of making them really tall I'll make them really really short instead of long frog I'm short fur and that's where kind of the idea but the idea of using sticks and stones to beat the Empire you know and smashing two logs into them and all that that's why that was was put together, you know, sort of thing. I, I do like that. I mean, it, it plays into the whole, you know, like farmers with pitchforks kind of thing, you know, right. that whole thing. I, I mean, I, I understand it, but like there, I, I just feel like there were so many other like creative ways that they could have done it. But I mean, that's, that's just one, to me, it's one hitch to other people. It's, it's not a bug at all. It's a feature, but. Uh, so do you have a favorite character from the original? Uh, it's Han. Oh, good. Han yeah. is just too charismatic, uh, charismatic, and I think he's actually a lot more emotionally intelligent than people give him credit for. Like he's just—I mean, the whole story of of Harrison Ford getting that part. Basically, I think he was like he was a 
he was like a maintenance man or he was something like that where well, he was no, actually, just like, sorry sorry to cut you off but uh, sorry just i love this stuff so okay so actually the thing with him is, I knew you would is this. okay so so harrison ford was in american graffiti okay and that was lucas's second film thx okay. was his first he made american graffiti second and harrison ford had a part in that movie right and when he meant to make star wars he was insisting that the actors be unknowns he insisted on it and he didn't want to put Harrison Ford in because Harrison Ford was just in his last movie so he's like he's already known so I can't put him in it so he actually had Harrison Ford Harrison Ford is a carpenter by trade so he was working That's on the set and he was like you know building sets and stuff like that and so they were like well we need somebody to read sides to the other actors so in other words um, it, what that means is somebody's got to read the Han Solo, the Han Solo part when we're reading because they audition lots of people for Luke, right? Like they audition people like uh, like uh, William Cat, you know, from uh, the Greatest American Hero, like he read for Luke, and all these other actors read for Luke, right? And so somebody has to read <clears throat> Han Solo's part <clears throat> while we're auditioning Luke characters. So, well, Hans or uh, Harrison's here. Harrison, can you just read this? And so Harrison would read the part, you know, while they were doing the audition. The only thing was they started to realize he's pretty good at this. Like, wow, he's really capturing this character. I think we have to go with him. And that's kind of how he ended up getting the part. So mm -hmm. um, absolutely, he was the right choice. They did look at other people for it, um, including Kurt Russell, of all people. But, uh, you know, Harrison Ford was definitely the right choice. No two ways about it. But I think he was definitely a good good character. I think for me, I've got to go with Darth Vader only because as a seven-year-old in the theater, when that when 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 the um, Star Destroyer comes over and takes over the Tanta Four, and then they blast through the doors, and Darth Vader walks in, I was just blown away. I was like, "Whoa! Oh, who is this? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen!" And I was just mesmerized by it. So I think just from that opening scene, he kind of got me. And then, like I say, the whole idea of you know at the end kind of tied everything together. And that's the thing, like really, that kind of got me about the prequels was all the prequels were was basically the. Um, kind of like the tragedy of Darth Vader that didn't take three story, three movies to, to tell. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, the other thing too is like in 97, it was, they re-released the original trilogy like with special editions. And right, those are the ones that we had in my house. Yeah, and that, that was where Lucas went in and like added new CGI stuff and new scenes and all this stuff and all this crap to it. And that really, really got me because the thing that, that ticked me off about it was first of all, um, just leave the movies alone. They were perfect the way they were. You don't have to add in new scenes. You don't have to add in like like a jaw of you know coming off of this big creature and swinging around like you're trying to put in comic relief for some reason. Like just leave it. Like don't do that. You know. And that whole idea of they had shot a scene with Jabba where um, where Han Solo uh, is walking with him, and they shot the scene with with a guy you know playing playing the part. And, and at one point Han walks around him. Well, then they decided, you know, oh, in the third movie, we're going to make Jabba. And they cut that scene out of the movie, obviously, um, the first movie. And then when they went to make the third movie and Jabba was going to be in it, and they made him this great big slug. Well, you know, you know, they, when they went back to add that scene into the special editions, they had to, like, you know, CGI him in and it looked fake and phony. And then they tried to make the walk around, like, be like that Han went up and stepped on his tail. And, just, and then he, like, he uh, reacts to yeah, it. Yeah, like, oh, you stepped on my tail. Oh. And, and <clears throat> so. it, it took away all of the... <clears throat> all of the grotesqueness of Jabba the Hutt too, it actually, like, it didn't seem to scale correctly. No, like, it didn't. It you're didn't. used to seeing Jabba basically, Huge. like, fill up a room. Yes, you know? he's, and he's enormous. And all of a sudden, he's, like, he, he looks almost sickly. He looks he looks smaller than Han does to I an know. extent. You know, I mean, it was, they, like, completely, like, emasculated his character. And it was, I mean, that one was frustrating. You know, seeing stuff like, um, like the Sarlacc pit. The Sarlacc pit before was perfect. Like, yeah. it, it, it's a perfect example of, like, 
you know, less is more. It is literally this gigantic looking, you know, stomach looking bladder thing in the middle of the desert. You know, there's like sandfall and everything. It's really, really simple. There, you know, has a couple little like thorns and stuff on the side. It's got so tentacles it, and that's it. Yeah, it has a little bit of tentacles and stuff like that. It's really simple. It's weird, but it also seems like strangely realistic. Like you could imagine seeing this like in the middle of a desert somewhere. You know what I mean? It wasn't a stretch to like imagine that. So what does he do? He has like a gigantic clam thing come out that like clumps you know like a venus flytrap or something on it like it's it was so unnecessary and doing research for the show you know i was looking up some of the changes that they made because like i said i i didn't get to see all the original cuts like you did you know you know literally dozens of times and it wasn't just you know cgi that he had added into it it was literally hundreds and hundreds of lines of dialogue and sound effects and little snippets of like audio recordings that they had of different characters that they kind of just spliced in yep. that didn't bullet that actual changed. gunshots they they put in for some of the stormtroopers in some of the scenes like actual real gun you know, yeah. like, why? Why are you doing this? I agree. And the other thing that ticked me off, too, was <clears throat> when he did that, then don't ask me how he convinced Spielberg that, hey, this is a good idea to do this. We can go back and change our movies and we can add like stuff in that looks fake. And so Spielberg actually did it, too. And it's, you know, maybe not as well known, but he went back and added some scenes to E.T., and um, and where E.T. was running through, you know, the forest and stuff like that, he, they put in some. And it was just like, why? Why would you do that? Thank, mm-hmm. Thankfully, he didn't do anything to Jaws. But uh, anyway, listen, I could literally talk about Star Wars all night long. We could do this 10 times over. But uh, it's time now. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with Yancey. Okay, so let, let's here we go. Fun with Yancey. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a couple questions on the original trilogy. You've, you've seen them all, so I'm going to keep it super easy for you, okay? Here we go. The original film was released in 1977, obviously. Was it nominated for the Best Picture Oscar at the Academy Awards that year, though? Yancey, do you know? Was it nominated for Best Picture in 1977? I think, didn't the critics basically tank the first film? So I'm going to say no, it was not. <laughs> Incorrect. It was nominated for a Best Picture Oscar in 1977. But I'll, I will let you even have a bonus question, though. Okay. okay. So I'm going to give you bonus points if you can name the movie that it lost to. In 1977? Yeah. Mm, give me a hint. Uh, Woody Allen? Oh, my God. I, sh- I really should know this. Woody Allen, Diane Keaton? Nope, I don't know it. It's named after her character? I don't know. Annie Hall. Annie Hall beat Star Wars. Oh. I will always remember that because as a kid, I'm like, how could this neurotic New York guy making this movie be, be better than Star Wars? What is the Academy thinking? Anyway, okay, so here's here's an easy one. This Star Wars character was named after the film editor's jargon, Real 2, Dialogue 2, name the character. Oh, it's obviously R2-D2. There you go, nice and easy one, okay? What's the name of the creature that attacks Luke on Hoth in The Empire Strikes Back? Oh, uh, it's the Yeti. What is his name? It's a... Uh, I do know this. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll nail it down. Is it? It's either it's the Sarlacc, is it a Wampa or a Tauntaun? It's a Wampa. It's a Wampa. You got yeah, it, baby. The Tauntaun is the thing he rides on. That's right. Of- now I know you know this next one because you mentioned this already. I was going to ask you about uh, Han Solo's famous line mm-hmm. right before he gets frozen in carbonite and the Empire Strikes Back. But you obviously know, know that he says. I know, classic. And the thing is funny. It's like rumor has it that he came up with that that line as an improvisation right on the spot. But that's not entirely true. He actually discussed that line, Harrison Ford discussed that line with director Irvin Kirshner in the, in his trailer 
before they ever shot the scene, he got Kirshner's blessing on it to actually say that. And um, so, but he, they did a bunch of different takes and he did use that one and then, you know, it worked. Lucas, and the thing was, Lucas did not understand why they would leave that in the cut. Like, he's like, why? That's not funny. And, and, and then audiences laughed. And he's like, I don't understand why audience was would laugh at that scene. It makes no sense. But if you think about it in the context of that scene, it's a pretty serious scene. Han's mm-hmm. about to get frozen and could probably die. And he's like, what are you, he's your favorite character, obviously your favorite character, right? And like, so it's a very, very, you know, there's a lot of gravita going on and a lot of gravity in that moment. And it's very serious. So it was comic relief is really how it played. And the audience needed that release. So, but Lucas didn't quite get that. Anyway, okay, I think... Most people really love the character of Boba Fett, the bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the name of Boba Fett's spaceship? Oh, I have no idea, Chris. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought you would know for sure. It's No. It, oh, wow. It's Slave One. Slave um, One? Okay, so you mentioned this already. So during the Snow Battle of Hoth, which is your favorite scene, uh-huh. what were the Imperial attack units, all-terrain armored transports better known as? 8080s. See, this is where I'm 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 really curious because I've always called them at ats. Oh my god. Always. I've always called them at ats. That's when I saw the movie. There those are at ats and they referred to them. I had the toy, the at ats, the big you know thing. And I've heard of some other people and this isn't until I'm years later I'm an adult and someone's like, "Oh, those are AT-ATs." I'm like, "What the hell is an AT-AT?" Chris, like, "How old are you?" I I I'm 46 years old. You're 46. Okay, my yeah. mom is just turning 50 yep. uh, tomorrow actually. Yep. And I remember the first time that she asked me what a meme was, she mm-hmm. said, "So what is a meme?" And it's that <laughs> it's like that same you're, thing. You're like, like, "Oh, it's a character from the Drew Carey show. What are you talking about?" You know, with all the makeup. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. I, I you know what? I think we got to take a poll somehow because I actually mentioned this some to some people and you know what? They're split. I'm not the only one. Otherwise, I've read uh, ran into other people and they're like, "No, man, it's Adats." And I've been, "No, man, it's AT-ATs." <laughs> but so but there, but if you look at it if it was AT-AT, it would be a dot dash, t yeah. dot dash yeah. a dot t. It's not. It's at dash at so it's at at i don't know that's what i call it anyway um okay so i got one final one for you see if you can do this one okay what famous 1980s tv sitcom actor was a commander of the rebel forces on hoth and i'll uh, even i'll even i'll even make give it multiple choice okay? <laughs> these are not easy at all oh i thought i don't know <laughs> you again. snake okay i'm gonna give you a multiple choice steven okay. steven keaton from family ties Michael Gross, Dan Connor from Roseanne, John Goodman, Cliff Clavin from Cheers, John Ratzenberger, or Balky from Perfect Strangers, Bronson Pinchot. Which one of those guys? What was, was number three? Uh, Cliff Clavin from Cheers, John I'm Ratzenberger. Go with, I'm going to go with Cliff. You are correct. Cliff Clavin. John you. Ratzenberger was a uh, commander of the rebel forces on Hoth. Go back and watch it. Yeah, you almost blink and you miss him, but he's there at the beginning. You see the mustache, you see him wearing the thing. You're like, oh, hey, that's Cliff Clavin. So hey, Chris, yep. I, I know we're up against the time clock, but I have a couple really quick trivia questions for you, too. Of course, yeah, kinda... sure. Yeah, of course. Put it on. Yeah. What, do you what is the real name of the planet where you find Cloud City? The real name? Bespin. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What is the name of Luke's friend from Tatooine who was also killed during the attack on the Death Star? Uh, Biggs. So whenever they're attacking the Death Star, yep. there are two pilots that survive. Obviously, Luke. Who is the other one? Uh, Wedge Antilles. Christopher. Mm. <laughs> My gosh. Oh, okay. Well nice, done. Eh? Well, last one. Last oh, one. Give me another one. Sure, I'll take it. Last one. Yeah. Finish this line from the famous, only two shall be there. This is a famous quote. Only two shall be there, a master and an apprentice, one to embody power and the other to blank. 
Is it, that's not from the original trilogy. It's like a, it's like the theme. They use this in like marketing and everything like that. Oh, okay. Uh, Only two shall be there: a master and an apprentice. One to embody power, and the other to blank. Um, abuse it. Crave it. Very Crave close. It. Oh, I, I'm telling you, that sounds like prequel crap to me. So I don't think <laughs> that's you know going to count. You know what? I will throw you that. It actually may be, but I think still, so. That that, that is that that is that is jargon that's not coming out in the original trilogy. I'll tell you that <laughs> anyway. Um, but anyway, listen. Yeah, you're right. We're up against clocks. So we have time to go. Time to wrap things up. Uh, like I say, I could talk about Star Wars the original trilogy all night long. I seriously could. And, we will uh, again for uh, sure. Absolutely. I absolutely. And, and the thing was too, like with Biggs, um, Biggs. Just going back for a minute on Biggs. Biggs actually had some had a scene at the beginning of the movie that they cut out, and it was actually um, Luke was actually looking up in the sky with uh, you know like through his binoculars, his magic or his you know electronic binoculars. He was looking up and he was actually seeing the um, the star destroyer battling with the Tantu Four. And he was like, what's, cool. and what's going on? What is that? It's so cool. But the scene just died. Like, it just, it killed the pace of the film. And, and, and Biggs was in it, and there was a girl, and they called, um, they referred to Luke as Wormy. And it was just, it just didn't fit in with the pacing of the film. Because, like, originally when the film was cut, that was one of the problems they had. They made the film, they cut it, and it was bad. The cut was not good. So Lucas had to go in and bring in, um, uh, I think it was uh, Richard Chu was, the, was the, uh, the editor, and he got his wife, Barsha, Lucas, to do a lot of the, and then they edited the film down. It just was wonderful, right? But uh, yeah, so Biggs had a lot more uh, to do. That's why even later in the film, when, when you see him, he's like, Biggs, you're like, who the hell is this Biggs guy? You know what I mean? But because in the original scene was cut, right? So it just didn't quite fit in. But uh, anyway, like I said, I could talk about it all night long, but it is time to go. So time to wrap things up. You can reach us on Twitter at McRyan or at Yancey Eaton. Shoot us an email at chris at popgoesyourworld.com or yancey at popgoesyourworld.com. Tell us if it's AT-ATs or at-ats, please. It's AT-ATs, <laughs> yeah, Chris. It's, it's at-ats. Um, for Yancey <laughs> Eaton, this is Chris McBrien saying thanks for listening to the Pop Goes Your World, the pop cultural podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 